We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision Podcast. Alas, Elliot can't be with us today. He's uh, on a cruise somewhere. I don't know why I think that's hilariously funny, but I do. Anyway, uh, he can't be with us, so sadly today's going to be great. By the time I'm done editing this podcast, as I promised on Twitter yesterday, I'll have our two fine guests agreeing with me that we're on for the treble. So with us today are Tim and Clive. Thanks, guys. Thanks for coming on. Pleasure. You're welcome. Good, good. Right, we're, we'll get, we're going to try and keep this one relatively short for us, so we'll, we'll get stuck right into it. Tim, you were at the game. Um, mm. I see, that's an assumption, but an assumption yeah. that's rarely, rarely ever wrong. Um, so uh, it was a bit of a funny old atmosphere there. Uh, we can get into a bit of politics later on, but just at a kind of a surface level, uh, we've become connoisseurs of funny old atmospheres recently. Each one has its own quality about it, but this one had its seemed to have its own quality too. Any any thoughts on that side of things? Yeah, it was um, it was actually uh, it was by Emirates standards, um, and indeed by the standards of most Premier League home grounds, I think, because most of them are pretty quiet nowadays. But I thought it was pretty decent, actually, particularly um, at times when you know when we were two one down, when we were one nil down. I really thought as soon as we went one nil down, I thought, oh no, here we go, we're going to get the. You know, we're going to get the, the boos and the grumbling and things like that. But actually, I think the crowd really responded. And I I wonder, and, and you know, Arsene Wenger made a real point of saying that afterwards, of saying, Absolutely you know, the, the crowd was behind us. Absolutely in a positive us. way, according to Arsene. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't think he said that lightly. I don't think that's that was political, just about him currying favour. It, it was a bit like that. Um, and, and in fact, what, what was weird is that the fans and the team seemed to do the same thing, where actually they they looked quite a bit better when when the team were behind, but then when we were level, we we didn't quite know how to attack the game and go for that three points, and maybe that's because everyone shared this this fear of losing, and uh, and I was quite surprised that I didn't really see where that was coming from. It, at some point, usually, when your team's playing quite badly, and this has even happened to Arsenal in the fairly recent past, kind of um, a, a, a sense of camaraderie does often kick in. I have seen this before, where we've had like a bit of a bad patch, 
and actually people go through the stage of getting angry and getting upset and everything but then they kind of come out the other side and, and really rally and and sometimes even when it's you know when it's really bad which which you know it has been recently people develop almost a sense of gallows humor um i must say i do given the mood and the temperature at the moment i didn't see that coming um with arsenal fans at the moment but maybe it was maybe it was just you know an, an acknowledgement that well, look, there's loads of shit happening outside the ground. Um, we're all having our say. Uh, everyone knows we're having our say. It's it's widely covered. So, you know, m- maybe, maybe that, that contributed to making the stadium a slightly more positive um, place. But I, I think you're right. I think a lot of people have said this. The whole temperature of the game was, was weird. It was really, really strange. At times it felt like a pre-season friendly but not not that it lacked intensity but it didn't feel it didn't feel vital yeah you know um, that scene at times. you know that scene in uh, uh, the life of brian where, where uh, who's it it's uh, it's pilot or whoever is coming out to the crowd and they're, the the rabble's in a funny mood and they're they're doing willis Bryan and willis wadwick and you know you just yeah yeah it, it's like there's a kind of, a, as you said, gallows humor. There's a sense of humor about the occasion, but it's a dire occasion. And it's just like they're finding ways to entertain themselves in between the kind of the serious moments. It just, there was something odd, really odd about the quality of, of that particular game. Was there a sense in which, um, so Clive, just to give you something to think about while, while we're going through this, you're on for talking through the selection, but I, I just did want to finish off with Tim to ask, is there a sense in which City at Home was almost the perfect game to have up next, in that if it had been another West Brom, you know, you might have maybe fancied mm. the chance at three points a little better, but such a chance for things to turn ugly for the manager. Any kind of a result I... against City... Um, and they've always been a good opponent for us in terms of like an openish game, which we really needed to start our. So, so a dangerous opponent, but potentially as good as it possibly gets. Yeah, yeah, and also a kind of a dangerous opponent in and around us. But we don't have that kind of historic rivalry with City. If it had yeah. been Chelsea or Tottenham or Man United, there'd have been a lot more anxiety. Maybe even Liverpool, although that's a bit more convivial. I think you're exactly right. It was a game that we didn't absolutely 100% expect to win. In fact, most people probably did. I had a sneaky feeling we might sneak it, but um, most people I don't think were rating us for this game. It was a game against a, a fairly close rival, a team that plays quite similarly to us as well and has, I think, some of the same frailties. Um, kind of like taking on our mirror image, albeit City are in a bit more confident at the moment, but I think you're right. I think all of that played into it where it was a game where we knew that even on form Arsenal are not red hot favourites to win this game. So there's probably an element to which we knew that we would have to get behind them. And it didn't have that same sense of needle and anxiety that a game against someone like Chelsea or Spurs or Manchester United will have. So I think that definitely did play into it as well. Yes. Yeah. Clive, anything you want to bite off on that before we get into the selections? Yeah, I definitely agree that um, there was a level of gallows humour for so sure. I think, I think I don't know about you guys, but I was sort of using that to protect my emotions. I just feel like mm. what's been happening with Arsenal has just been so emotional, so draining. They're starting to really sort of affect many people's view of what they're watching and what they're seeing. Yeah. And there's been some wonderful stuff written about the club recently and um, on all aspects. It's really, it really gets your soul searching. So when you come to the actual thing that we should all care about, the game, you normally go into, you go into self-protection mode and you, you're watching something and you're thinking, you know what, this could be really bad. I need to look after myself emotionally almost. Yeah. And humor's a good way to do that. Um, Do you think there might have been a bit of, you know, you go to a blood sport, I don't know, it's the hounds chasing a fox, and it's all great fun and stuff, but then the hounds chase up to the fox, and you're like, uh, you know, the the hounds are fucking blood dripping all over their mouths, and you're like, oh, fuck, you know, I hadn't really thought how, how, what this was actually going to feel like when we got to the kill, and to me, there's a little bit of that with supporters and arson, you know, they've seen him hounded recently and beaten up. 
pretty badly and kind of on the ropes and they may well consider they may whatever their feelings on it they may well consider it's time and that you know it's of his own making but still when the hounds catch up to the fox they don't really want to see the the fox the fox this this manager that they yeah. I, I think the majority of fans no matter how angry they are feel a connection to arson and whatever however they want to turn it out this to turn out most wanted to him to take a serious look at retiring they don't want it to be ugly and and this was one I of those occasions all, where, where yeah yeah i think we all know this is, this is a painful time and yesterday it could have been more painful Right, the whole experience could have been painful. I think both teams lacked a bit of consistent quality to really kill the other, and City had a greater chance, in my opinion, to do that. And, um, but this whole experience is is, is painful, and, it, and it's I don't see that we, we're getting we're getting ready for the pain. Do you yeah. see what I mean? I think we all feel there's more pain. We're preparing ourselves for it. We're concerned. Yesterday could have been a terrible day. If De Bruyne scores, uh, that ball doesn't hit the post, and we go two down early, I just wonder what the mood would have been like in, in that crowd. Yeah, getting ready for the pain, two more years of it. <laughs> just joking. Um, so, I promised to talk about the selection, so here goes. The selection. Um, what mm. did you make of it? Uh, obviously, uh, without Elliot here, we don't get into the... We'll try and trim back a little bit on the Giroud discussions and maybe talk about some other players. We don't normally get into the the mix, into the mixer here, but you can't get away from the striker selection as as part of that overall conversation. Yeah, this is... I, I really want to know what Tim thinks this as well, but when the selection comes out, you, you see the front three, and you know there's no issue to that front three. They're, they're fast, they're intense. I quite like a, a faster team. Yeah, I thought you'd hope... like this, uh, this front three. <laughs> yeah, they're fine, right? They've got different they've got different attributes. But the way we line them up, I just don't agree with. You know, I, I would have loved to have seen Alexis Central. Um, they they played Navas at, at right back, and I'm thinking, who does he want to play against? You know, a six-foot-plus beast in Welbeck running him backwards? Alexis, he, does, he plays like a number 10 from the left. He plays in front of you. He's not going to challenge you in behind. He's going to trick you in front and come back into a into a crowd scene. I think I think we missed a trick there to really challenge uh, Navas from a fullback perspective. I know he went off quite early, but I was hoping Alexis. I want to go back to that. I want to get those relationships going again, where he can be far more influential from a central area where he can score more goals. Uh, the midfield too. I mean, I don't think it worked early in the season. And it didn't work for me yesterday. Um, I just don't think there's enough control, support, line running. I don't think they play close enough together. I don't sense a relationship. I only sense panic when I see those two together. I don't feel comfortable. <laughs> I just see gaps. I see people running past people. I don't see our recovery speed being quick enough. And what, what's generally happening to us, or probably since the Everton and City week, all teams have done is speed up against us. They speed up and they test us athletically. They test our ability to recover into the spaces that we've left. And they run through us. And when I see those two in the middle, I don't feel encouraged that that situation is going to be fixed. And the, the, the saving grace potentially, City didn't recognise. In the, in the away game, they speeded up in the second half. In this home game, they were fast in the first half. Um, and they brought on Yaya Torre and slowed down in the second half, which gave us a chance to build some confidence. Uh, and they allowed us back in. They should have, in my opinion, they should have murdered us. They should have murdered us, and they and they took they they didn't they didn't kill us. They had us there. They didn't know what to do. They didn't put us. They didn't put us away. And we've come away with some building blocks of confidence. So, um, so yeah. So the rest of the team. That's how I saw it. I thought it missed an opportunity there. Centre mid, centre forward situation is where we need to fix if we're going to get a run towards the end of the season. Yeah. Hey, Tim, can I pitch something at you um, in terms of well back at centre forward? I don't know what your overall <clears throat> thoughts were. But there was every chance City might dominate possession, and Arson knew that. 
And one of the things Welbeck gives you is the ability to run in behind where Alexis is not necessarily the the fastest player on the field. So uh, he gives you that through the middle. He's also obviously a taller player, so he can do a little bit more hold-up play. Um, is there an argument to say that given that there was a reasonable chance we'd want to go direct, especially with our fluency mm. and our lack of confidence on the ball, which was available in in uh, spades in this particular game. You know, if the mar- if the manager always mm. picks this front three, so be it. But in this particular game, maybe it's just one more game where he's like, eh, I, I, I'm, I'm still going to go with Alexis on the wing because I got other problems. Yeah, I, th- I think there probably was an element of that, particularly in the second half. I think we tried to be a little bit more direct. I think he was looking specifically at um, the jacker ball over the top, um, you know, to either Walcott or Welbeck to, to get in behind. I was kind of all right with the shape of the front three, but I totally agree with Clive's point on Navas being at right back. <clears throat> I, I get that that, that's not what we would have expected or planned for. But I think once it became apparent, and particularly once Navas had been booked, um, one of the things I really like about Welbeck, about Welbeck in the wide positions is the reason managers like him so much is because he really follows instruction. And not only that, but he's I think he's actually tactically a very clever player. He's, he's yeah. quite good at working out what an opponent's weak spot is and going for it. And um, quite often when he plays wide, he, you know, sometimes like so at Anfield, he he was kind of playing wide, but he went up front. Really, he was he was in a two, yeah, um, with Giroud because that that was what the game called for. But quite often when he goes wide, um, if if the game calls for it, he'll stay wide and he'll create width for you. Yeah. Um, and I think I think he he could and maybe would have really done that. That said. I, I don't think he looked sharp at all, um, even in the centre forward position. No. So even even if in theory he, he ended up not having a great game, that might not just because have been just because he was at centre forward. If if he's not sharp or not quite match fit, then maybe it wouldn't make much difference if he was on the left wing anyway. But I I certainly saw the theory behind it. He didn't want to go, you know lump it up to Giroud because as you say there's space in behind City and you want someone you want someone strong enough um, to hold the ball up the other thing about Welbeck is actually I think he recorded 100% pass completion yeah. and um, that's not not the first time he's done that and for a centre forward that's incredible um, 100% and, and I, I get that value, valuable to a team looking to keep the pressure off and to not be under Indeed. the cash from City from a possession standpoint. Indeed, uh, indeed. And, and, and in that's fact, that's something he gives you. Wasn't Sanchez the player who gave the ball away more than anybody on the day? I mean, he was good, but he was tired. And, yeah. But the 30, yeah, yeah. 33 times he gave it away, so there may have been uh, some accidental brilliance to it, uh, or maybe that was mm. just the way the game played out. And Clive, I'd like to have one go- more go of pitching it to you. <laughs> which is, to me, a player, uh, one of the opportunities today is to talk about Nacho, seeing as we're not going to talk about one or two other players we always uh, obsess about, who I thought had an absolute fucking stormer, and I give him a lot of grief uh, over the last few months. And his understanding with Sanchez was really our game plan in terms of attack, and that works because they know how to play each other, and they have a... How many times did Sanchez, you know, put uh, uh, Nacho through to, uh, uh, to the byline, etc., and vice versa? So yeah. that that was one of the strong points of her game. And any thoughts on Nacho? Yeah, I, there was a few players that really sort of stood out for me. Actually, I, I, I'm looking for green shoots, right? I'm looking for. I'm I'm sick of being negative, right? So Amen, I'm trying to brother. look at the Amen. positives, right? And, and there's a, there's a couple of players that. Really, I really enjoyed watching. Um, Nacho was one of them. I thought, I thought he really looked to combine. I thought he really pushed on. I thought what Alexis did with him was was smart. I thought he shared the ball quite well. What Alexis does, he gives it away. But what his number one strength is, is is actually transition. His reaction to a mistake, reaction to something that someone else does. 
he, his reaction time is brilliant. So when he gives it away, he's still dangerous because he just goes and wins it back again. Yeah. Right? And he almost like, creates his own turnovers. Right. So, um, but I thought the role he played with Monreal was good. I still think Welbeck could have done that equally as well. And we'd have got more from Alexis, more danger. And what Welbeck does do from the left, I think it simplifies his game. And Tim is absolutely spot on. He's not super fit at the moment. So having a simpler, straight line, shuttle running game from one side where he can see the pitch and run through lines, I think that would have suited him a little bit more. But it wasn't the end of the world. Monreal did really well for me. But another one who I've really criticised, I've not I've not been sure about him as a profile centre-back. But I thought Mustafi showed a real bit of grit, a real bit of leadership. I thought he pushed on. I thought he was quite aggressive. I know it cost us a goal. When he was overly aggressive, he didn't cover around. But I saw someone trying to drive us forward. He popped up on the right wing. And I just I didn't see him hiding. And uh, he did much better without Koscielny in the second half as well. So I'm looking for green shoots there, and the player. Well, well that's that a big we saw... one there, isn't it? Because if you look at the arc of our storyline recently, it's like having a decent first half, then we lose Kashelny somewhere around half, yeah. and we turn to fucking shit. So there's one green shoot. Exactly. I mean, if you think back to pre City for his injury, he was turning into the leader of the back four, yeah. and then he's got injured. He's come back, and and we've lost him. But I saw a bit of that come back yesterday. I don't know what you think, Tim, as well, from the, being in the ground. But I saw something there to say, you're, you're now coming back. Your personality is showing. The leadership is mm. showing. And I thought he, he, I thought he did a, had a decent game. And it wasn't his actions. If you've got a player like him who's front foot, it's all about what you do around him. As long as he, if he's going to be ultra-aggressive, that's fine. But you know that, and then you make sure you come around and you make sure you're, you, you take your position from him. So, yeah, to pick up on Clive's question to you there, um, centre backs, uh, a fascinating quandary going forward because Gabriel is apparently Brazilian, so I know you've had your eye on him. We got the Mustafi conundrum, uh, we got Purr coming back, and if Ospina's our mm. goalkeeper, he's, he's in the midget category. Uh, you got a couple of the potential to play a couple of Germans together. Gabriel's been almost good enough for you to say he's he's earned kind of the next shot at it. But then you got Ospina. You, mm. you need to bring some control, some command. Of course, Pearl will tend to p- play on the right of the centre back pairing. So what going forward in this absolutely critical period? You know, the ma- what was interesting about this selection is the manager. This is who the manager trusts with his life, because that's what they were playing for yesterday. Mm. It's, there's no more mm. development, there's no more field of force, trusting that if he does, the, you know, if he says the right things, they will. This, these were the people he most trusted for that first 45 minutes, so that's the mode we're in at the moment. So, centre-backs? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think he'll give Gabriel the next shot, just because... Um, the thing is with playing Murtasaka is it necessitates a complete shift in what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. Um, you, you kind of have to go into deep block mode. Yeah. And with some of the opponents we've got coming up, um, perhaps, perhaps if City was the next game or perhaps if Spurs was the next game, he might be a bit more tempted to do it. But, um, you know, with, with West Ham and Palace, I, I think he's going to put Gabriel back in there. And um, I, I think, I think, I think that's what I would do at the moment as well. I thought I thought Gabriel was excellent um, yeah, when he came on, too. actually, and I, I think you're quite right about about Mustafi there because for that for that first goal, he wins the header. He wins it absolutely emphatically. He does his yeah. job. He comes out. That he engages the striker. He wins goal, the header. No, no, exactly. He wins the header and heads it. You know, well into City's half. That we shouldn't be there shouldn't be a player one on one with the goalkeeper one touch later from that and I, I don't think that's really his fault and I think that stems from some of the uncertainty between Coquelin and Jacker because when you look at their attributes together you think well yeah on paper it kind of makes sense because you've got one one guy effectively what you've got is one guy who can pass but can't run and you've got one guy that can run and can't pass. <laughs> um, but but actually, you know, some sometimes sometimes like um, 
you know putting putting attributes together like that that don't work sometimes they don't sometimes players don't cover each other sometimes two negatives just makes a negative if you there's get no relationship I mean. there is there Tim? there's just no relationship no the exactly there's just no relationship exactly. you can see it there's just no symbiotic feeling of when one moves the other one moves with them obviously Cochrane yeah. and Cazorla had it and I think I actually think Shaka and El Nenny have got it but I yeah, those I do. two haven't got it they haven't got it no, they're they're too far apart, and uh, and that says that you know they they don't track one another's movements. I, I agree with you. You look at Jacker and Elneny, that I'd be much more inclined to go that way because they seem to understand each other. They play nice and close together. They get Arsenal out of pressure with one touch passing, not really an option with Jacker and Cockerland. So Jacker's constantly having to look for that crossfield pass, and he's good at them. Um, but they they work much better when you do two or three killer ones a game um, and you catch the opponents by surprise, if you're having to do it every single time you receive the ball, you lose the element of surprise. I mean, he's very similar to Manu Petit. And Manu Petit did not play that ball, you know, 15, 20 times a game. He'd do it once or twice. But when he did it, it was it was crucial. It would it would put you in with a good chance. It needs If you're going to switch the play like that, it needs to be a bit of surprise factor, and I don't think you really get that. Whereas if you stick Elneny in there, you've got the short passing combination option as well to vary things up. But going back to the, the centre-halves, I do think that he'll stick with Gabriel just because Gabriel's a slightly closer approximation to, to what he's losing um, yeah. in Lauren Koscielny. And I, I still think, I, I think Gabriel's been getting actually a pretty hard press. I'm not saying um, he's played brilliantly, but I think... We were very, very quick at the beginning, myself included, to say that he looked really good. And then we've been too far too quick to say to write him off as absolute rubbish. Um, yeah. And I, I think the jury maybe still be out there a little bit, but I don't know. I'm one of these people when I see someone's best performance, um, that's that's once I get a sense of their potential. Um, I, I tend to be quite curious um, about them, which, which is maybe, by the way, why, why I'm one of the people who's a bit more patient with Aaron Ramsey, for example, because I think once you see that level of performance, I, I always think to myself, how do we get that more? How do we get that more often? And sometimes you can't because the player's just not motivated enough to do it, isn't consistent enough. But I, I'm always um, I'm curious when I see... Um, someone's potential and I think we've seen some some really good performances from Gabriel and I thought this was one of them yeah um, he was handling Sergio Aguero um, with Man City playing on the counter um, and I thought he did it very well he was very alive at that front post every time that Manchester City tried to put a cross in he was equal to it and it could be that that, that just suits him um, and that suits his style they did seem to try and put a lot of crosses in in the second half and, and maybe that suits him more than, you know, people running off of him and running in behind him. Um, but I, I'm, I'm absolutely certain that um, if Koscielny is not fit on Wednesday, it'll be Gabriel that he picks. And the other significant thing about it, um, because I'm interested in this kind of thing, as soon as he came on, I said to the guy that sits next to me, that, that entire back five is now Spanish-speaking, all five of them, because um, Mustafi played for Valencia for a little while. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't really know how significant that is. I think it's probably significant for Gabriel, more so than for the others. But it, if you've got five of them speaking Cochrane's Spanish... It's probably best if he wants to stay in the team. <laughs> Rosetta's yeah, pick, pick up some uh, Espanol. Yeah. <laughs> but, so, uh, you mentioned our Spanish back line... Um, so Bellerin, it, one of the thoughts I've had recently is Bellerin has been, for understandable reasons, uh, below par. But he's actually taken a while. To, you would expect a young fellow with that kind of pace to kind of snap back a little quicker. But this was this was a game where he, he still wasn't great in the sense that he didn't give us that added... He didn't do that thing that carved them wide open. He had a few reasonable attacking moments. We haven't seen the best of Hector Bellerin for a little while. And I do wonder what has it cost us over the last X number of games where he's been playing, but he's been below par. You look at that for like two, three different players who have not been in great form recently, and you wonder how the performances of a few players can just 
type of game. There's the the old Alex Ferguson thing that you're not you're you're not going to have eleven good players on the pitch, all in form in the same ga- game. You're lucky if you have seven or eight who are having a good game, and we've been having two. And beyond the troubles of the manager, and I think the Bellerin thing might be a little bit beyond the troubles of the manager, but not helped by it. And but to me, this was a game where he was at least at par, and our defence was kind of mostly at par. Um, and if I, I think, I think if I'd told you, Clive, that at half time we'd be two one down and Koscielny would go off and Gabriel would c- come on, you'd shit yourself, correct? Yeah, well, I did, almost, <laughs> literally, right? So, um, and yeah, I totally agree with him on Gabriel. And um, I thought he had a great half, very difficult game to come into, fast-running team, running through lines. I, I thought he was really, really good. And I think back to the way I assess players, is very similar to Tim, actually. I think back to Everton away last year when Gabriel played against Lukaku, who was on fire. I thought he had a great game. And once I saw that top-level potential, that he could really hit that level, it's only a matter of time before he hits it again. He's 25, he's fast and athletic. I'm not worried about him. And the same for same for Bellerin. I mean, this, this guy has got a six-plus-year contract in his back pocket. And I've been quite disturbed, really, about some of the reaction to a couple of six out of ten performances. I mean, he's a kid in his second season. He's had his first proper injury. I wonder how fit he really is, and I hope he gets a summer off, but he's probably going to have to go to the under-21s. I wonder what's happened there, but I don't despair about him. He he didn't cover around Mustafi, and and we got we conceded a goal. He didn't get his recovery run quite quite correct. Mm. But I watched that game again today, and again, he never hid. He gave the ball away a couple of times. He was always progressive, always there to receive it from Walcott on the underlap. He still pushed into really dangerous areas. He didn't stand his whole thing, oh, I've given the ball away, I'm not going to push his team forward. I, I really like to see a, a, a player who's battling for form show some bravery to keep doing the right things keep doing what we want him to do. Yes, he gave the ball away a couple of times, but I tell you what, Man City would have him in two seconds flat. Sure. Right? And, so would, and so would a lot of teams. And So we need to be a little bit more circumspect about how we, we judge him because he could be a future captain for our team if we look after him correctly and nurture him properly and support him properly through this little bit of a... Um, we're talking six out of ten performances from, you know, down from... The nines he was doing regularly and recently before his injury, etc. So I'm not worried about him. Sane's a good player. Sane runs through lines. That's what he does. He runs through people. He gambles. He gambles on the offside and he's very strong, very tall. I thought after Bellerin settled down, I thought he handled him fairly well. He didn't get run again. So um, should be a bit more pace with him. Hopefully his form will come back. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, running through lines, I'll... Uh, Line splitting passes. I thought, what what did you think of Chaka's game? I know the Chaka Cockland thing was uh, very hit and miss. But how did you mm. feel that? I, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, mate. I'm a I'm a I'm a Chaka fan. Yeah. But uh, you you can't. Your eyes don't lie, right? Your eyes don't lie. I, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure from where Tim's sitting, he can see it. He he, he moves forward smoothly like a BMW and he comes back like a Skoda simple as that he just he just just not travel well on the recovery that's why he goes to ground early because he doesn't want to be running back 20 yards into his box I mean on their second goal his recovery run was pitiful again what he did we were trying to break out I think he overlapped on the left hand side I mean what's he doing out there if we're breaking what you should do as a centre I mean you should break centrally so if it breaks down you're in position Right, and I thought his positioning was poor. Um, I just he just can't run. So if he's your man, then you need to say, okay, he's my man. I want him to dictate our play. You're not a good athlete, so I have to protect you. I have to have two athletes around you in a, in a slightly different formation and put you in an armchair. And until we decide, if we decide he's our man, then we need to do that. If he's if we can't keep continually make him do something he's physically not able to do, and that's what it looks like to me. He's physically not able to cover the spaces that we 
want him to cover. And if you get into a situation with Cochrane where there's no relationship, our defensive distances are too big, then eventually he's going to break. And it normally manifests in a card or two. And that's what we're seeing. Tim, Chaka, he can't run, he can't tackle. <laughs> is, that, is that your assessment? It's funny because as Clive, Clive says, we, we need to explain to him he can't run. I'm like, so does... Does Arson mix this into the same speech where he tells him he just can't fucking tackle either and what's left of this guy? It's, it's when the game's in front of him, it's fine. He can tackle when the game's in front of him. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's, it's when someone starts to go past him. And, and, and you know, um, not being able to run, as Clive says, it, it's not really a problem if you've got the players around you. Perlo couldn't run. Yeah. Perlo barely broke into a stroll. Um, but what did they do? They put, you know, Milan put Catuso next to him, um, you know, and he played with, I think, Marquisio at Juve. At, at you put these players around those players um, to, to, to really, really get evil. the best out of them. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I suppose the issue is that we're trying to do that with Coquelin, but yeah. whether Coquelin is, is really of that, vintage or maybe even of that that level of intelligence um, really and also we're asking Coquelin to engage high up the pitch and force turnovers but obviously that means he kind of has to abandon post and yeah, yeah I, th- I, th- I think with Jack uh, it's I, I, th- I think there's a really really good player there I think there's a really good player there but we just haven't got the system around him that that seems to work, and I mean, going back to what we were saying a minute ago, I, the only the only player I think that that really really helps to solve that is is El Nene, yeah, um, because he's got that energy, but that kind of intelligent energy. It's not that kind of I'm just going to run around and and you know go into tackles, and it, it's it's a bit more it's a bit more thought out yeah. um, than that, albeit you know. So, and El Nini's movement's that, a bit more metronomic, isn't it, Tim? He sort of he stays yeah, close. He's, he's aware of his job. He's aware of his job, aware of his space, and he's aware of his partner. Yeah. And that's that's so important yeah, in that exactly. position. So the thing that worries me I mean, about Jack El apart from what we see with our eyes, is if we think back to Arson trying to explain them as players, uh, A, he does a piss-poor job of persuading you that uh, he really knew what he was buying in both cases, and ha- but more importantly, how yeah. it's all going to fit together. But B, in both of them, he's struggled to define either one of them as a defensive midfielder. They're all some kind of in-betweeny, box-to-boxy, that can do a bit of... Def- and you listen to him, and you say, it sounds like the guy just showed up, somebody else sent him over, and he's spending this season trying to work out where they fit yeah, in. although although Benga has in recent seasons kind of liked that um, having you know two number sixes rather than a number four and a number eight, yeah, yeah. Um, for example, and we we've seen it even when Jack has played with Ramsey, where the, the way he spaced them at times. I mean, I, I'm not convinced that Jack is a number six really. I think he is just like you know, like we did with Manu Petit. We didn't ask him to do anything, but sit there on pretty much the edge of the centre circle. And, and you know, Vieira had that kind of athleticism to then get up and down. and, and But he wasn't, you know, really a number eight as such. And we, we just haven't found that formula with Granite Jack yet. And I, I feel a little bit sorry for him, to be honest, because while I think, you know, some, some of his tackling and is, is, is just really, really poor at times... I kind of feel like he really wants to feel like an important player in this team, that he really, really wants to be a significant player in this team. He wants the keys. He, do, he doesn't... Yeah, yeah, but he doesn't... He seems willing to take it on. And when you listen to him interviewed, he's, he's, he seems, you know, he seems so keen, uh, really, really keen, and someone who really wants to get... He, he, he wants to really get Arsenal and be like a big part of it. He seems, you know, one of those players that's really really proud to be here like he's been working for this opportunity yeah. and he what he wants to take it and he knows that he's got the ability to take it but what he doesn't have really seems to be a partner that that he can work with yeah. and 
a manager that understands him and absolutely you know that that's that's and, all and just in the middle of all this of funk at the moment where we say things like and i i know why we say it we say the team's quitting and you know it's they're a bunch of bottlers and it's spineless and they've quit on the manager and the manager's lost the dressing room and why don't players show some leadership you know you look around it and it's it's complicated isn't it because yes there's that running through the team but that's that whole kind of the core uh, that esprit de corps of a team that's beyond just individuals because you look at somebody like Chaka and, and he's not bottling it you look at uh, I'm go- I'll bring up my old mate Theo who's you know famously uh, non-committal uh, in terms of attitude and throwing himself around, and he's like a fucking savage animal these days. I'm not saying he had a brilliant game, but uh, he—I mean, we all saw, the, saw those moments. But beyond those moments, he was hearing around the place, doing his best impersonation of uh, Alexis hounding them from the right wing, and his goal was all about hustle. And uh, he collided with Fernandinho and put him on his ass. Didn't think I was ever going to see that happening. Um, might have had a little look in that, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, and so you look around, you know, Bellerin ha- has never quit. He, he, I'm not going to... Koscielny, you know, you, Mustafi has never quit. Individually, for for the most part, you'd say individuals haven't quit, but it's it's isn't it like a belief in the team kind of thing? The, it's the yeah. team quit on itself rather than the individuals didn't give a shit. And, you know, that does come down to the manager. But it's just complicated when you look at somebody like Chaka and then Walcott and Bellerin and Koscielny, etc., etc. And if you like those players, you can see those guys didn't individually quit. Yeah, not at all. I don't think, I've never had the sense that there's like, an air of out, out and out mutiny, like we probably saw at Leicester. I don't think it's a right. We've down tools. I think they just the players lack a little bit of guidance, and I, I, I don't know if you describe this as conscious or subconscious, but they're looking around at each other and just going, yeah. it, "It's April, and we still don't know what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> like, what's going on?" And I, I don't, I don't get the impression that anyone there is like, well, maybe I don't know, maybe one or two players are, but I don't get the impression as a group feeling of. Oh, this guy's a clown. Let's just, you know, let's get him out of here. And um, but I just, I don't know. I just get this kind of feeling. They're all still scratching their heads and looking at each other and going, there, "There's a plan, right?" Yeah. He's like, he's going to tell us what the plan is soon, isn't he? Yeah. And uh, that, that's that's more the sense I get. I think that's right, Clive. I'll get you in here. But to me, um, they haven't even quit on the manager. They haven't quit on themselves or each other. What they've quit on is, as you said, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what the plan is. They don't ha- They know what the plan is. It's just clear to everybody it's not been working and it's not about to. And it's kind of, they've, they've quit on the, the concept of who they are as a team and how they're going to win games. They just don't see a plan that they can follow through on. Yeah, we, we, haven't, we, haven't found, we haven't found a formula yet, really. We, we're talking about these we, st- we talk about pairs, aren't we? We talk yeah. about relationships. We talk about centre-backs. We talk about centre-mids. We're talking about that spine down the middle. And we talk about that in April. And yeah. we've been talking about it for, you know, we've, de- we've been debating it as a fan group for, for months, right? And we're still not there, right? So so we haven't got that, that, that clear formula, which you always find by now. But also, Arsenal is a team of flow. Right, and we move the ball. It's all about timing, pace of pass, and movement. And when you lose confidence, the first thing that goes is is your flow. You hesitate. The amount of time we saw passes going behind people yesterday, you know, that's the sort of thing. These simple five yard passes, balls going cross field passes from Shaka going out. Shaka's a, a player I really, really like. I like to have that sort of player in, in our team. I don't agree the system. We've got the right system for him. But he's got real ability to fire that ball into feet from all different spaces. But he's playing the ball out. You know, people are just moving late, not moving early enough. And so we've lost our confidence. We're hesitating. We're hesitating before we go into the tackle. The people are running past us because it only takes, if you're one yard off, you're done. You're running 15 yards back. And it's that's what we need to get back 
that confidence. And funny enough, the, the last time I saw us play with a bit of heart and a bit of flow and a bit of confidence was probably the first half against Bayern Munich. And um, okay, it didn't work out in the end, but I saw something there. I saw something there. Yesterday, we we sort of we got we got something out of the game, which I hope is the first building block of rebuilding that confidence again. If that comes back, then we've got a chance to see some more movement and flow, more Arsenal football. And then hopefully we can look at what we haven't got in this group and look at how teams have, have really hurt us. And I think they've hurt us with a, a level of athleticism, intensity. They've outrun us. Our, our running statistics over the last 10 games, I think we've been outrunning every single game. Um, we're, we're just not where we need to be where the game is moving towards. And I hope this period is showing us what we need to do and how we need to move forward from a player profile perspective. And um, So yeah, we're still searching for that formula and it's not here. And we can sit here all night and talk about it and we'd probably, we'd probably get closer to agreeing what a team should look like because we know each other. But, you know, that debate across the fan group is still ongoing and Benga has not sorted it out yet. No, good stuff. Uh, so Tim, we got West Ham next and then... Crystal Palace the weekend is it? Yeah, Monday. Um, mm. So, does this eleven we've we ended the game with, or certainly started the second half with, is that our template even against West Ham, uh, which will be an entirely different game at home? And what do we do about set pieces and uh, the aerial prowess? I haven't even watched West Ham recently. Is Andy? Uh, Carol's still alive, or has he broken his fetlock and they're putting him down again? He 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 is alive. Yes. Oh dear. <laughs> so, what are what are your thoughts on how we line up against those guys? I don't think there'll be many changes. I don't think he'll play Welbeck again, even if Welbeck yeah. had played a little bit better. I think it's he'll manage that situation until the end of the season, and uh, I think. He'll probably bring Giroud in, um, to be honest. So it won't be. So all the other pieces will probably stay in the same place. Can't see him starting a Wobi um, at the moment. Chamberlain, I think, is kind of 50 50. And so, you know, even if he makes it, I'm sure he'll just be on the bench. Ditto Ramsey, who I think is 50 50. Um, what it might mean is that we have a little bit more on the bench or um, other means of kind of trying to change the game because. The subs we made against City didn't didn't really change the course of the game in our favour. Um, we, we still struggled to really switch up and change the impetus and go for a win. But maybe that was down to confidence as well and, and, and a little bit of anxiety. But I see this team staying roughly the same. Yeah. I personally would, would go with Jacker and Elneny um, in the middle. I, I don't think that's what he's going to do, though. I think he'll stick with uh, Granite Jacker and Francis Coquelin. Um, I think he'll, you know, he'll play Gabriel um, at centre half, and so we'll probably get Pear on the bench as well. Um, but yeah, I, and and you know, maybe playing Giroud, like you say, if, if Andy Carroll's going to play, perhaps playing Giroud makes a certain amount of sense. I'll be interested yeah. to see if we stick with the zonal marking um, for Andy Carroll because um, you know we've had some problems giving players a running a running start. And actually, Mustafi's goal came about um, yeah. by very, very similar means. Actually, he he almost spotted what had happened to Arsenal a couple of times and thought, "Why don't I try that?" And kind of hung back on the edge of the box and really attacked it. And um, you know, I'd be Great interested goal. to see if um, if we doctor things a little bit um, for Andy Carroll. But it's not really Wenger's style. He does tend to stay just stick with what he's been doing rather than make specific plans for individuals. But bringing Giroud in might be a bit of a halfway house um, that you might consider from set pieces. But I think with Andy Carroll, the way you deal with that is with your goalkeeper. And, you know, Espina didn't deal with it against West Ham last year. And um, whereas when we played West Ham the season before, Wojciech Szczesny played. And whatever you think of Wojciech Szczesny, He's, he's very good and very commanding coming off his line. He he likes that challenge. He likes coming out and getting those crosses and attacking the ball and 
stopping a striker like an Andy Carroll or like a Ben Teco who thrives on that service, that's not a Spina's game um, at all. And then and winking that, at us. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and that concerns me. Espina is much more of a shot stopper. He does not come off of his line. He does not, you know, it, come certainly off not with any... He barely any, comes over it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sometimes he seems to be <laughs> sitting in the front row. Um, and when he, when he does, it, it's, it's not really that convincing. So that's where I'm a bit more worried rather than perhaps the specific set piece for yeah. it. Um, but that said, um, West Ham have lost their last four games. So if there's one team less confident than us at the moment it's got to be West Ham and you know they beat us at home last season so perhaps there's a little bit of revenge to be taken there as well but I, I think we're going to win yeah Clive what's your front four for West Ham yeah I'd agree with almost everything Tim said there and I would pick out Nenny I think Drew will play Welbeck's obviously got a knee a nice, you know, chronic knee injury it needs to be managed so he will not play two games in just a short space of time I think he could be back maybe for Palace away. Um, so, yeah, I would do that. And I'd love to see how on any come in. But also, the key thing in this game is really about our defensive starting positions. Right? I think it's very important that we play you know, quite a high line. And, uh, you know, this is not a day for a deep Mertesacker. This is a day for Gabriel Mustafi. High starting position. Keep Andy Carroll away from your box. That's all you got to do. And if we do that, play in the right areas, I think we should take him. Mantini's a decent player. He's um, he's he's, he's a lot better than what people realise. He's he was playing better than Pae before he left anyway, and he's just slotted into that role. He's a decent player, but they're not very confident. And I think, you know, we need this win. And I think look, we need this win really badly. I think everything will feel different if we get it. You know, so I think it's really important that we have some assertiveness from our back line, and we start high, play high, really push them back, front foot them and test their confidence and hopefully we'll, go, we'll come away with a win. Yeah. And I think I'm, and I'm going to this game as well, so I'm going to uh, see it live and direct myself. Good stuff. Well, I think um, I concur with you guys, but not for footballing reasons. I think given that Giroud is going to play up front every few games and Elliot's on a cruise, I think this is the game to play Giroud up front, get it out of the way for the sake of the pod. <laughs> Um, so with that guys uh, good stuff thanks Tim thanks for your your uh, chipping in today pleasure thanks Clive you're welcome and I guess we'll all be back together after the West Ham game in a, a couple of days here bye bye bye